Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 90 of D and Discussions, the podcast for players and DMs alike, where we cover a wide variety of topics to help you with your games. I'm your host, Ryan Reeder, and with me, as always, is my not optional co-host, Ben Bumhoffer. That, yeah, I mean, that sounds a little weird, but it's almost like I'm forcing you to do this. So either way, you know what? I'm going with it. That's right. I am not optional. I am here. No. I'm here to you stay. You are required. You have the little red asterisk next to you on the survey. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. And it's not only because I, I actually record stuff and upload it. It's because you enjoy <laughs> doing it with me. Agreed. Agreed. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> speaking if, of, uh, if speaking you've seen, of. yeah, if you've seen the website go down, um, hopefully it's fixed for forever now because we've had some issues over the past month or so. Um, but so far it seems to be pretty stable again. Uh, it's the first time that we've really had issues over the the four years that we've been doing this. So yes, uh, apolo- apologies for yes. those who have who have uh, encountered the 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 outages <laughs> lately. Uh, not normal, and it's something that we have been working very hard to try yes. and fix on the back end. So hopefully it is fixed now, and you are able to download when you want to download Yes, things. If not, just be patient, and it'll get there eventually. That's right. That's right. Uh, so we've got a few interesting topics to talk about today. If you didn't guess... Uh, from that intro, we're going to be talking a little bit about uh, survey results for the Druid and Paladin, uh, Unearthed Arcana, and uh, kind of going over a little bit of the future stuff. And then we're going to be talking a little bit about optional rules and not homebrew optional rules, but optional rules that are actually legitimately in the game, in the books. And spoiler. If you're one of those people that has read all the books cover to cover and memorized them, you might not get much out of this episode. However, I mean, you're not wrong. (laughs) However, we have found that many people have not read the DMG at all or have only skimmed it. And there are honestly a lot of really good nuggets in there. Uh, some of them are extremely buried and this is one of the reasons they are rewriting, uh, the DMG for the 2024 release. And, uh, it is a product that they have themselves admitted, uh, was kind of the overlooked book of the five E trio. So, uh, we're going to we're going to talk about some of the some of the stuff that you might not know is in there. Yeah. And uh, if you want to use it for your game, there's some there's some actually pretty cool stuff and it's legitimate. It's official. It's like in the book. And so uh, if anyone anyone argues with you, it's in the book. It's just a just an optional rule in the book and we're going to use it. Yeah. Kind of exactly. like feats. Like I never knew feats were technically an optional rule. Yeah. For the longest time. I just thought they were a thing. Because they're so of, cool. Yeah. Like it just seems like, oh yeah, instead of your ability score increase, you can take a feat. Makes mm-hmm. sense. But they are technically an optional rule. Yeah, that is very true. And uh, the thing is, is that these they're buried so deep at the end of the DMG. So uh yeah, I don't feel bad for not 
you know, memorizing this section of the book. Sure, I've skimmed it before, but I don't remember half of the stuff that we're going to be talking about, which is actually uh, quite a bit. I'm, I'm looking forward to this. But before we do that, mm-hmm. take it away, Ryan, we, because we've got some we got some recap. So Wizards released a, a recap video of the survey results for the Paladin and Druid Unearthed Arcana as well as kind of prefaced the release of the survey for the new gigantic uh, Unearthed Arcana that we talked about last, last episode, yeah. which we'll, we'll talk about in a second. But essentially, they came out and they're like, the Paladin Unearthed Arcana changes all seemed to actually go over extremely well. They were all like 70s, 80s plus percentage of people going, yes, this is cool. Yes, I want it. Yeah. And I'm actually uh, pretty happy about the things that they were were kind of covering. They talked about how everybody seemed to, to really like kind of like the new Divine Smite rules. Um, you know, a lot of it was positive. And they said that one of the lowest things that was actually, you know, kind of revealed and everything just based off of comments that were written. And it was still in the 70s, mind you is that uh, people weren't exactly as happy about using divine smite on ranged attacks. You know, they felt that that's kind of more of a, a cleric kind of thing as opposed to a paladin. And so they wanted to, you know, kind of stop some of that, uh, that cross homogenization uh, from happening. But overall, I mean, like Ryan said, it's incredibly positive. A lot of the stuff that they're saying, and that doesn't mean that that's still just the final version of the paladin, but, they're still going to be looking at it and, you know, tweaking and adding and uh, again, trying to make it more fun overall. But uh, I mean, we both kind of agreed that it, it was a lot of good. Yeah. It sounds like they're going to be trying to get every class out again, at least one more time. Mm -hmm. Um, That's, that's kind of what it sounded like uh, so that they can show off revisions, but it, it, it really sounded like they hit the mark pretty well on the paladin side of things. And they, they even talked about like um, subclasses and they don't want classes to intrude on other classes spaces, but then there's things like for the fighter, the arcane archer mm-hmm. that does kind of intrude a little bit on the ranger space. And they talked about how subclasses were a way they could, not all subclasses of course, but subclasses were a way that they could use that to give a different fantasy and that may kind of uh, broach into the territory of another class. So it's possible uh, uh, even if we don't see ranged divine smites becoming a reality, it's possible there may be a subclass that might get ranged divine smites as one of their special things exactly. uh, and- along with a, a class a subclass built around. Yeah. And one of the big things that they're emphasizing, too, is that they're not turning like, say, and we're just going to use the the arcane archer versus paladin, because that's, I think, the, the closest example that we can really use here. And they brought it up themselves. They're not trying to make a fighter into a ranger. They're just trying to give, you know, a little bit more flavor to an aspect of the fighter. And, yeah, there's a little bit that, you know, kind of crosses over where there's some magic involved. There's they're using a bow and arrow versus a sword. And, you know, that's kind of where the similarities like are strongest, but they still have their own flavor in their own class. And that's how they keep them unique. Yeah. And apparently the divine smite uh, unarmed strikes went down really well. So it sounds like that's probably. Oh, yeah. I think that's one of the best additions, actually. 
and that will make that would certainly make for a cool paladin monk multi-class as well honestly i like that idea yep yep so i i could i could totally see some really cool character concepts of that um then they moved on to the druid and the druid is kind of interesting because the throughout the whole section of the paladin video and we'll have this the the video linked at on the show notes at dndiscussions.com if you want to watch the whole thing it's like you know 15 20 minutes um throughout the whole paladin section they were talking about numbers they talked about percentages a ton of them then they got to the druid class and they stopped talking about percentages basically at all other than like uh this thing might this thing scored well or people seem to like this aspect or whatever um they did basically say that over half of the participants who submitted surveys did not like the new wild shape which does not surprise me at all so like the the actual positive of the new wild shape was probably in the 40s somewhere and i mean if you recall we were both not very happy about it um you know we we discussed some of the reasonings behind it and they kind of brought up you know some of those similar points about why they were changing it what they were trying to do but I mean, they they realize that not the best idea. Um, yeah, and they, I mean, I give I I give them points for trying to make it more accessible. I yes. do. Like I I a hundred percent understand, especially like a new player or even a veteran player trying to look through a hundred different stat blocks or something to mm-hmm. find the thing that they want to turn into. Uh, I I do. That is that is an issue. That is a design issue. Uh, no question, but there are, in my opinion, at least much better ways that it can be remedied beyond just those templated things mm-hmm. and letting you have that all that design work of these cool monsters that were made to still be able to turn into, especially if they do something uh, with the new player's handbook, like here is some here are some examples of the three creature types, the animal, the water and the flying. And we are going to put like five of each of those stat blocks of very different types right there in the player's handbook Mm -hmm. for easy accessibility. Then you can use those because we we handpicked five cool ones from each, right? You can use those or you can go look them up yeah. and find your own. That I think would be great. And I mean, this is going back to our, our wild playing days, but uh, hunters would have different types of pets. They would be able to do different things. So like, you know, you would have a bear or a turtle or something like that as a tank. You'd have a wolf or a, a tiger or something as like DPS. I mean, things like that are, you know, really what I think a druid wants, you know, having that, that, versatility to be able to be able, I'm a big hulking thing. I'm going to make sure that, um, you know, my, my party is safe. I'm going to be taking damage. I'm going to be protecting them or, Hey, I'm a tiger. I'm going to be doing a whole ton of damage and then sneaking away, you know, kind of being roguish or something, you know, just giving those different types of options, uh, you know, just for the land based animal is great. I mean, Look at the different options for flying, like a giant eagle versus a giant owl. Yeah, they're both flying birds, 
but the the attributes on them are so different that they can be used for different things. And that's where I think that a, a lot of the 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 versatility that was taken away was my biggest problem is that I want to be able to have those options to, Hey, this one's great at stealth. This one has better sight. This one works better at night, you know, just different things like that, because it really makes sense for a druid to know a lot about a lot of different animals. So mm-hmm. just turning into, well, here's my base model. And this time I look like a bear just didn't fit well with me. Yeah, it's the same. It's the same as restricting tiny, tiny creatures until yeah, that's still stupid. way higher, higher level. It's the same thing as not getting the the hit points of the creature and just having it be your own health pool. Still, like it, it there's just a lot of stuff that did not feel good. And it, like I said, they didn't mention hardly anything in the way of numbers. For the druid, yeah, they but kept that very you quiet. Got the impression that it was not great. Yeah, but that's that is. I, I assume you got that impression as oh, well. Oh, very that's, much. That's so. that's that's kind of the read that I got got from them while they were doing that. Um, they did talk about how people were interested uh, in the concept of the the nature magic. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, the, na- the nature burst or whatever. It yeah, is. yeah. Like, because they had experimented in some of the subclasses using wild shape charges to do other things mm-hmm. um, that seemed to go down fa- fairly well. And so this is basically kind of combining that into one thing. If you wanted to make a druid that uh, doesn't necessarily want to focus on wild shape that much, then the wild shape's kind of wasted. And But now if you combine that all into one thing that can do more stuff, then you can especially with subclasses focus that yes. in a little more and have that resource now uh, to split different ways. So I think I, I, I agree with that feedback. I really like it in concept. I don't think it was cool enough or there was enough you could do with it that wasn't wild shape, but I think they're on the right track mm-hmm. for that specific thing. But for the wild shape itself, I really hope they pull back and go back to what it was. And like, like I said, you're remaking the player's handbook, throw some templates in, but the templates are actual monster stat blocks Yeah, from the monster manual that you pulled into the player's handbook. And then you go, if you want more to look at, look at the monster manual, you know, or whatever available now for only. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, one thing that I did find funny, uh, especially in regarding wild shape is that, they said that they got quotes of people saying that this is the best version of the Druid that they want to play. And they, they're, they're so excited for it as well as this is the worst thing I've ever seen. I don't want to see it in print. So, I mean, while the overall numbers were probably pretty low, I do want to just point it out there that there are people who, you know, want this type of, of Druid type, type of gameplay and everything. And you know what? Hopefully there's a version of it for them because that would be really great. I think I think there is a compromise mm-hmm. in there somewhere. Still. Yeah, I, I I definitely do. Just like the warlock, I think there's a compromise in there somewhere. They just went way too far. Yeah. for the first iteration, and they need to pull it back. Yeah, and it's and- the same same with the circle of the moon subclass. They talked about that a little bit and how they wanted to make it so, especially at high levels, they weren't so overpowered because they basically had you know unlimited wild shapes 
or what was essentially unlimited wild shapes in a single combat uh, and packing on the pool of hit points and stuff. And while I understand that, I don't necessarily agree with it because at high levels, things are broken mm-hmm. and you want <laughs> to be able to feel cool. And as a DM, if a druid, uh, if I my you know, smart, big, bad, evil guy is fighting a party with a druid that keeps shifting and getting hit points and stuff back. I'm just going to kill your friends. Yeah. Like I got ways to deal with you and that's by killing everybody around you. So, (laughs) so I mean, like I said, there's ways to deal with that high level play should feel epic. You should feel like you can do really cool things and, Dang it, Wizards, if you're going to freaking talk about high-level play, then support it. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Like, I don't want you, like, you have no business nerfing anything high-level unless you want to get, unless you're going to be going, okay, we're going to support high-level play. And I'm cautiously optimistic. I mean, they're talking about doing this big Vecna storyline and stuff. And Vecna is obviously a very powerful being. So I'm yeah, you don't and they're scale talking about no, they're talking about revamping the monster manual and adding in a lot of higher CR things where there are gaps. So just putting the pieces together, mm-hmm. it feels like there is a potential push to support higher level content more coming with this 2024 edition overhaul. I'm hope I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful because they have done a very poor job of supporting high level play from the beginning of 5e up to this point. There's there's very little official published content that runs anywhere near tier three, tier four. So we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. But I, I, I want to keep that in mind, too. You want to make sure you can feel epic and they, they're they'd seem to have a big focus on reviewing and renewing and tinkering with and adding to these epic boons as well. And those are things that are supposed to be given away at high levels are supposed to be taken post level 20 when you don't have any more levels to get, but your, your campaign is still going and you want to uh, give your players cool things. So they, they, that seemed to be a fairly big focus in a few of these unearthed arcanas. So again, potentially another indicator that we might see more high level play support exactly coming down the line. And I mean, one last thing that they did talk about uh, going back to the Druids is that um, the next version that we get is going to be something entirely different than what they put out already. So my guess is that they are definitely taking the feedback and really putting something together that will either kind of, you know, work well for both viewpoints or again, maybe be incredibly broken too. Who knows? But uh, the the point is, is that the version that they put out is definitely not going to be the next version that we get. Yeah. yeah. So uh, keep giving your feedback. Mm-hmm. Keep giving your feedback. And speaking of feedback, the survey for the giant Unearth Arcana that we talked about last episode is open. It is open as of today, our recording, May 17th, and it will run through, I believe, June 7th, which that sounds about right. <sighs> It's not a lot of time. I feel like it's not not a lot of time, Uh, especially for something this big. 
And the survey encompasses everything. Mm -hmm. Now, when you go into the survey, you can, uh, it'll ask you which of the pieces you want to leave feedback on, which is good. That's a good start. Um, but you want to get feedback on all the stuff from as many people as possible. I was, I'm a, I'm a bit disappointed that they did not break this down into two or three or four different surveys Yeah, and make them more bite-sized because if you want to leave feedback on everything, that is a lot of stuff to mm -hmm. sit down and leave. Um, and if you only leave feedback on a few things, the chances are you probably won't end up leaving feedback on the rest. So it's, it's one of those, it's one of those things that, um, I, I wish it was handled a little better for as big. It was like 50 pages, 50 pages long. That's like almost an entire set of three Spelljammer book. Yeah, pretty much. Like that's, that's almost as long as one of those like set of three books from Spelljammer. Yeah. So yeah, I, I would that if I could offer any feedback, it'd be break the survey up. Um, even if you have to run them alongside each other, breaking things up just from a mental load perspective and sitting down and just knocking it all out at once feels a lot better than, uh, even if it's the exact same thing, but just all combined into one. Yeah. Now, one thing that's really interesting is they did put out a video about the survey, um, which is about a half hour long. So it's actually pretty chunky. Um, one thing though, that I thought that was kind of interesting then is that it, it also gave them a chance to really kind of focus and, and talk about their intent even more. Um, so, you know, as you're going through and you're playing different things, if for some reason, like something didn't seem to really kind of catch or you didn't read like the designer's notes behind it, um, they talked about a, a few different things that were just, you know, kind of there to, to be all, Hey, this is kind of what our intention was. This is what we were thinking. This is where the balance was trying to go in. And uh, I mean, they talked about the warlock for, quite a bit on there and they were really trying to talk about, you know, balancing and, and just giving them more fun and something that, you know, we talked about uh, last time when we talked about the actual UA for it is the fact that, you know, warlocks just tend to kind of hoard their, their spells because you never know when you're going to need it. They wanted to be able to give them spells to, to cast things to play. So that's why the, the revamp kind of worked as, as much as it did. And they were really kind of focusing more on, Hey, this is what we're going for. Just, you know, remember that when you fill out the survey, I guess, I don't know. It, it was kind of a weird tone watching that video, but I mean, again, it's just, they're trying to make sure that everybody knew what the intent was for, you know, those big changes. Yeah. So, so it's a lot. It's a lot. And uh, I, I'm going to try and fill it out. I'm going to mm -hmm. try my darndest to fill it out, but I may end up only checking uh, a few of the <laughs> a few of the boxes, which which sucks. But it's it is hard to find time and sit to sit down and just do all that. Yeah. It's a lot, a lot at once. And it's a lot of information to go through. It's a lot of information to go through. So. Again, if it's one of those things, if your hardcore base is having trouble filling it out, then you're not getting that mid and newer player selection, probably. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Near as much as you, you should, um, because all, all voices should matter in this, in this thing, not the people who have just been playing forever or are super hardcore about it. So, 
we'll see. We'll see if uh, if they get that feedback and and take it into uh, future consideration. All right. Before we move on, though. Oh, you have something else? I'm throwing this at you. You don't even know about this because oh, I didn't add it no. to the notes. Um, oh, okay. So about maybe the first or second week of May, I don't know, sometime in there, I got an email uh, from D&D Beyond saying like, hey, take a survey. Give us your feedback. No idea if you got this. No idea who got this. But uh, I took the survey because I'm of an age now where if someone says, would you like to take a survey? I say yes. In fact, there's a funny story where I was kind of kidnapped at Disneyland because of that once. But anyways, um, <laughs> so, you know, I'm like, OK, D&D Beyond, I still I still subscribe to you. Let's see what you got. And um, it, it had a lot to do with, you know, kind of future things that they're trying to bring to it. So that is like the the virtual tabletop. They had different features and everything that they're kind of talking about. It was one of those like which of these features do you find most interesting? And, you know, listed a whole bunch of different things for like, you know, 2d, 3d maps, tokens, spell effects, you know, just like bunches of different things and stuff like that. Um, so, you know, I answered honestly till the things that I was interested in, but one thing popped up that I knew would just absolutely blow your mind that you would love. And they asked about it. And that is, would you like to see a con a third party content marketplace? So maybe they're really considering this going in there. I mean, if they, actually I mean, have they, a they talked about, thing. they talked about wanting to do it at that D and D summit. Yes. Um, they talked about wanting to do it. Uh, they talked about not it being very early. I assume this is something that we will see at the earliest rollout with the 2024 like, new new releases it's something that is desperately needed and I, I just talking about uh like the feed stuff we were talking about earlier mm -hmm. i think i feel like DD beyond was one of the things that helped make feats more mainstream because they're right there front and center because mm -hmm. it asks you about it yeah there's a whole and it section makes it an easy right yeah it's an easy accessible interface and we've talked about the importance of D&D Beyond for accessibility and just accessibility in general, because it is an extremely important thing. Uh, and D&D Beyond really does help with it a mm -hmm. lot. Um, but I think it would be, and, and they're going to have to work on the UI. They're going oh, yeah. to I mean, work on the experience yeah, and stuff. All that but stuff. yeah, like it's a, that would be a huge deal to be able to put third party content into mm -hmm. there. And it would make my life a whole heck of a lot easier. And it would make my players' lives a heck of a lot easier because if I'm using D&D Beyond to run my game and a player comes to me and is like, can I use this uh, subclass or class or something like that? It's especially if you're playing online, mm -hmm. I feel like. It's incredibly, it, it, is, it is much harder to use third-party content if you're playing online and you're all using a unified thing like D&D Beyond or even just like Foundry or Fantasy Grounds or Roll20, uh, some of those do have some third party content in them. But even even that is is not heavily uh, used. And I don't like their interfaces. I don't think their interfaces are near as good as D&D Beyond's mm -hmm. is as well for character tracking. Uh, and in the encounter building and such. And so 
it makes it a lot harder to use a lot of the cool third-party content I've got that's player-focused because I have to do a lot of work to get it into D&D Beyond, whether it's uh, third-party spells or items or subclasses, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and you can't even do classes. Like, it's just not possible. You cannot do homebrew classes in D&D Beyond currently. And so like the uh, a good example, that is a plus five podcast uh, where we did uh, Jeff's kind of five. I think it was five session side quest. Mm-hmm. We did one of the um, Candlekeep adventures. Uh, I played an Illrigger. I had a lot harder time doing and tracking everything because I was the only one who didn't have it in D&D Beyond. Yeah. To be able to do, I had like multiple PDFs open and a custom character sheet I made and like a spreadsheet thing that was keeping, I used to keep track of some stuff. And it was just a lot more complicated and complex. It was still a lot of fun, but it was certainly a lot more work. And so having that type of integration with third-party publishers so that I can start using some of the cool stuff and not have to spend a lot of extra work putting it together myself. Like uh, one great example, the Kobold Press, um, like their, their magic tomes. It's just like, here's 500 new spells. There's a lot of really cool spells in there. It is a pain. Like, let's be honest. D&D Beyond Homebrew Creator is a pain in the butt. Right now, it can be. It is not user friendly. It is not super well defined. Uh, There are things that, and there are things that you can't even do, or that it's very hard to do to get it to actually work like you want it to. And when you give it to the player, or being able to even try and let the player (laughs) pick it up and put it on their sheet. So, yeah, all that giant rant to say to say yes please give me official third party content in D&D Beyond so that I can get that and use it in an integrated manner and have a lot easier ways to let my players do that because monsters are aren't near as big of a deal no just copy something and change it yeah yeah but anyway so going back to the survey um they did talk about that um I don't know if it's just in regards to the virtual tabletop specifically, but I would think in the very least that at least opens the door to third party publishers and everything as well, which I'm excited for as, and as you can tell, Ryan is very excited for as well, the thought of it. Um, but so if, if you see, you know, a survey out there like that, go for it, answer it. Um, who knows, maybe because they sent me a survey and I answered it, I'll be one of the first, alpha testers or something. Cause that'd be really cool. And I'd love to be able to report on that stuff and kind of talk about everything because Agreed. I am super stoked to get everything in one place. Yes. Yeah. I, I completely agree. Having, having a one tool to rule them all mm-hmm. type type thing is extremely attractive just from a, a management standpoint. Yes. So, so that's much so. 
it's super huge, super, super huge. Although sometimes you do find out that when you're sharing the stuff that you, uh, that you own, like I do, I have all, all the different books and everything. Um, uh, and then also my homebrew, um, the weird, really stupid, stuff that I make for my homebrew campaign does show up on other campaigns uh, as items or maybe custom spells. So just keep that in mind. That's that's something that they, especially if they integrate third party, one of the first systems they all need to overhaul is their filtering system. Because mm-hmm. being able to turn off cer- certain homebrew items or doing it on a per campaign uh, basis and and such uh, instead of just like because you can turn homebrew items on and off per character mm-hmm. but they need a lot more campaign specific yes, very much settings because so. so. yeah it was really funny when some of my really stupid homebrew stuff showed up in our plus five to hit campaign and I'm like oh that's maybe you, that's should, choose, I made. you, you should choose a different spell because that's that's <laughs> not for that Yep. It was a it was a really stupid Lord of the Rings joke I made. That's the only reason that spell exists. Oh. Anyways, <laughs> no, that's that's good to know. So if you see that, uh, fill it out. Yes, and say yes, yes for third party content, please. Yes, please. Okay, so let's talk about D and D optional rules that you may not have heard about, or you haven't uh, forgot. Yeah, or you haven't forgot because I have read through the DMG. And I did not remember a lot of these, to be completely honest. I know, um, right? So some of the some of the big the, there's uh, player's handbook has a few things. Uh, Xanathar's specifically has a ton of extra downtime rules, mm-hmm. like a ton of optional downtime rules. We don't have to go over them or anything, but just just know that if you're looking for downtime activities, downtime rules, Xanathar's actually has a lot of official like optional downtime rules um, that are kind of uh, explained out. And I would not be surprised if they made it into their own little section in the new DMG yeah. as well, pulled from, from Xanathar's most likely um, the big, the big chapters in the DMG that you want to look at. If you're looking for optional rules are chapters eight and nine. Uh, they have a lot, uh, a good deal of the optional stuff from the DMG. They're a little buried, honestly, in, in some ways. Uh, but we've kind of gone through, we've looked, we've picked some of our, our favorites. Um, we will not, we are, we do not necessarily use these in our campaigns. No. And just because we mentioned them does not necessarily mean we will use them in our campaigns, but it's, these are really good to know if they strike your fancy or if they, work with the type of campaign that you're running or potentially you may be using these or some variation of these in the background just because it makes sense or because you thought you made it up and you may have because it if you didn't read the dmg and you just kind of did it but you may find out that something you homebrewed is actually an official variant or at least really close to it. Yeah. And as we went through these, one of the big things that I, that kind of popped out in, in my mind was, Oh, I do that already. Oh, I do that already too. And I mean, some of these are like, you know, optional rules that are, you know, going to be session to session to session that, you know, it's, it's, it's a, a big dynamic. It's a big thing for your campaign. Like, um, 
the proficiency dice as opposed to using just the regular bonus. Like that, that's something that you do for a campaign versus like just a very random action that might take place in combat that you just kind of figure out on the fly of this is what I need to do. Some of those options and rules are actually in the, these chapters and you're doing them anyway, based off of just kind of what makes sense. So some of these we might talk about, you're like, well, yeah, duh. Um, others just, you know, they're interesting. Yeah. So let's, let's dive in a little bit. So the first one I wanted to talk about was, uh, some success variant or, or difficulty check variant. Mm -hmm. And this one's kind of cool. And I, I, I kind of use, used a little bit of my own version of this before, but this one makes a lot of sense, uh, in a way, especially if you're running a module that has pre-built difficulty checks in it. Because a lot of times DMs will come up with difficulty checks on the fly, especially if you're doing a homebrew world or you're not following, you know, something from a module or an adventure uh, directly. But in this, uh, it's a variant called automatic success. And uh, you know, it says basically sometimes a randomness of a D20 leads to ludicrous results. Let's say a door requires a successful DC 15 strength check to be battered down. A fighter with a strength of 20 might helplessly flail against the door because of bad dice rolls. Uh, and meanwhile, a rogue with a strength of 10 rolls a natural 20 and knocks the door from its hinges. Now, sometimes people like that. Some people, sometimes people like the variability. Uh, and sometimes really funny story moments can come from that or in some cases, force the DM to come up with story elements on the fly to, <laughs> to uh, describe uh, the reason why <laughs> that 20 strength barbarian could not knock down this door, but for some reason the rogue could. So what this variation is, is basically uh, if that type of thing bothers you, uh, a character can uh, in this variation will automatically succeed on any ability check with the DC less than or equal to the relevant ability score minus five. So in the above example, uh, if the door had a DC 15 strength check to break down uh, or anything, you know, based on athletics or acrobatics or whatever, whatever uh, athletics would be the strength based check. Um, you look at the, classes actual strength score so in this case it's 20 and you minus five from it which is 15 it is equal to the dc they automatically succeed and are able to batter down the door in a way where the rogue could not automatically succeed and would have to roll for it yeah, i think it, i think it's i it think it's kind of cool sense. totally makes sense um Although sometimes, again, I mean, I am a big fan of, for some reason, you just cannot open this door. I mean, it, it can be fun. But when you're really trying to tell a good, serious story and like everybody's just really in the mood for it and everything, it makes sense to do something like this, to, to, to push through, to keep moving on and not have them, you know, your entire team stuck behind a door, uh, cutting themselves up, using spell slots, everything, just, just to try to open up a door. But sometimes that can be fun. Yeah, I it's it's one of the it, it warns you know, like sometimes it can become predictable if uh, 
they know exactly, oh yeah, this person should just do this because they'll automatically succeed. It's it's one of those things where if you don't tell people the DCs necessarily, uh, they they might still try and do it. But if you if you want your games, if you want to take a little bit of that randomness out, uh, that can potentially be frustrating, especially for some people. When it's just like my 20 strength barbarian and I just having a bad dice roll night and I can't do anything and it's very frustrating. Uh, having those automatic success type things within that range uh, can certainly be helpful. Um, next uh, one I was looking at, and this is this is interesting because I uh, it's, it's about inspiration. And mm-hmm. as a DM, I have awarded inspiration. It's very uh, irregular because most of the time I'm not thinking about it. Uh, <laughs> and we've, we've talked about this some before, but this is a variant rule called only players award inspiration. It's basically as a DM, you have a lot to track during the game. Yes. Uh, sometimes you can forget to reward it. All the time. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Although at the same time, uh, players forget they have it and also don't use it. Yeah. Uh, so in this variant, during every session, each player can award inspiration to another player. Um, a player follows whatever guidelines the group agrees on for awarding inspiration. This approach can make your life easier and also gives players a chance to recognize each other for good play. Uh, but you still need to make sure the inspiration is being awarded fairly. And it even says this approach works best with groups that are focused on the story because it falls flat if players merely manipulate it to gain advantage in key situations without earning inspiration by way of good role-playing or whatever yeah. other criteria the group has established. Um, so I, I completely agree with that. This is, that is, this is totally something that could be manipulated. Uh, if you didn't put guidelines around it or there wasn't good discussion, but I actually really like it in theory, uh, potentially even, uh, limited to where each player could only award inspiration like maybe once per session. Yeah. And inspiration doesn't stack and you have to use your current inspiration before you can give it again. Uh, and then couple that with guidelines for uh, how or when inspiration is awarded so that it's just like, ah, oh, crap, I really need advantage on this attack. Who's got their inspiration left to give out? And it's like, no, it's not that kind of, it's not exactly. Bardic. It's not just bardic inspiration. This is something It's just like, you just had a heck of a monologue, like an RP monologue. I want to give you an, my inspiration for the thing. Mm-hmm. And then, and then like, you can't give inspiration to yourself. Obviously, oh that, yeah, that, like another another seeming thing. But in in theory, with the right group and the right guardrails on it, and it, it does say in this, like you know, in this area, you can allow each player to award inspiration more than once per session. I I would probably personally cap it at one one per player per session to give out, um, and then of course they don't stack. But in theory, like I said, with the right group and the right discussion about it. I think this is actually pretty cool. I think it's actually a pretty cool variant rule and could take that off the DM and keep players maybe even a little more focused on 
watching for those situations Mm -hmm. where inspiration could be rewarded and uh, how have other P other players recognized uh, for something cool. They did. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. It's a, so yeah, I think that's actually a really cool uh, variant role. Um, something else that, that comes up next though, and I'm stealing it from your list right there is that, uh, this is actually a fun thing. Success at a cost. Mm-hmm. Now, yes, we, we've kind of talked about the varying levels of success already, like a ways back, but here's like the official DMG version of it. You know, it's, yeah, it's idea, actually in there. Yeah. Who would have thought, but, uh, it's the idea that, you know, if you fail your role by like, you know, just one or two, you know, something minuscule, like you almost have it, you do get success except at some sort of cost. Like one of the best examples on here is that your character narrowly escapes the full brunt of a fireball, but you end up prone. So this would be, you know, you fail by one point, you, you take half damage as opposed to full damage, but you end up prone because the fireball blew you on your butt. Totally makes sense. I actually think that that works out pretty cool. It's an extra layer to kind of keep track of. So that's, you know, one thing that you need to like be very cognizant of, but little things like this can add more of like a, a cinematic flavor to things that are happening and make those botched roles, you know, that are like super close that are just so disheartening, just, you know, a little bit better. I was I was just thinking as you were talking about that that could be something you could even get your players in on too, mm-hmm. where they roll and the the DC for the fireball save says fifteen, and they get that that thirteen or fourteen right, and you say, okay, you got really close. I will let you succeed if you want, but there will also be a penalty that comes with it, and then let the player decide if they want to take that penalty or if they just want to take the, they, if they want to take the unknown penalty or if they want to take the known penalty of failing the save. Mm -hmm. That being said, and then get your players involved a little bit. Yeah. Don't overly like hype what that penalty is going to be though. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. End up prone on the fireball. Yeah, that's okay. But yeah. Oh, you, you saved half damage, but now you're literally on fire and the ceiling's falling on you. It's like, no, that that's a little too much for the cost of what we're going here for. And I know that yeah. there are sadistic people out there who would want to do that. Well, and that's something that you could potentially do with the next optional rule mm-hmm. under this resolution and consequences, which is what we've talked about before degrees of failure. Yes. Sometimes a failed ability check has different consequences depending on the degree of failure. For example, a character who fails to disarm a trap chest might accidentally spring the trap. If the che- check fails by five or more, whereas a lesser failure means the trap wasn't triggered during the botched disarm attempt, but, um, but the chest, you know, remains locked. Yeah. Uh, and consider adding similar distinctions to other checks. Perhaps a failed charisma persuasion check means the queen won't help, whereas a failure of five or more means she throws you in the the dungeon for impudence. So I I really do like um, the idea of variations of success or failure. Mm-hmm. Again, like the natural twenty stuff, uh, it's not mind control for persuasion checks. Yeah, um, but. If the DC is 15 and you get 20, maybe you 
convince this person and a little something extra on the side. Mm-hmm. Or maybe if you fail this persuasion check, uh, it's like a DC 15 and you got like, I don't know, like a, a five or something like that. You failed it by a bunch. Not only do they not listen to you, maybe they attack you. Maybe they stick some guards on you. Uh, so having the that degree degrees of success and failure built in can make things a little more dynamic and more interesting. Yeah. And you don't need to do like an actual specific like, OK, you're one point off. So then this happens. You're five points off. So that this happens. I mean do what you do with your normal kind of, you know, DC checks that you, you DC checks the same, your DCs that you, you come up with just kind of feel like, okay. Um, they really botched it. This is something that's going to be happening. I mean, a lot of you might be kind of doing a level of this as it is, but I mean, if you really kind of boil it down to what you're doing, you know, throw in a little bit more of this, you know, instead of just, Oh, I just failed. You know, how did you fail? What happened? Was it detrimental? Things like that. And again, it, it adds more flair to everything that's going on uh, with the situation. Um, one of my absolute favorite things, and I'm going to just, you know, throw out a critical role thing again. In campaign one, at one point, they're doing a stealth check and everybody does really great. Except I think Scanlan rolls like a one or is really low or something like that. So as Matt's going through and kind of describing everything that happens, they're like, yeah, and Scanlan, you're just absentmindedly humming a tune to yourself because he's the bard and it's what he does. And that's what actually kind of springs the trap because he rolled badly, but it had some sort of flair and actual thing that that, you know, caused something to happen as opposed to, oh, you just fail. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I, I think that adds a lot of flavor and it's something that I already do to a point, mm-hmm. but it's, it's cool that uh, it is an actual optional rule and it goes through and explains a little bit on it and how to use it. Exactly. Um, Again, the DMG who knew? Yeah. As, as they said in that, uh, that video where they were talking about stuff, um, it's just one of those things where there's a lot of good stuff in there. It's just not necessarily easy to find or it's mm-hmm. buried some in somewhere deep. So yeah, it's uh, good stuff. And uh, finally for, for this piece, um, flanking flanking is an optional rule. It might be something that you just automatically used and thought it was just something that was actually, legitimately how it's supposed to be. It might be something you never heard of. It's basically where, and it it only really works super well. It's much harder in theater of the mind. Yeah. uh, Versus like looking at something on a grid. And I mean, even the examples they use grid and to be completely fair, five E is very much a grid based combat system. Although using a map is an option. I mean, yeah, (laughs) they, they very heavily recommended, but it is still an option. (laughs) Sorry. I had to throw that on there. It is. It's true. It is an option. Um, But basically flanking is where you have an ally opposite you in melee on the other side of an enemy. 
So if there is a goblin that I am directly in front of facing down, it, the goblin would be flanked if I had an ally directly behind them. And that grants the uh, person who is flanking or the, the, the party that is flanking advantage as long as that scenario remains intact. Uh, it's something a lot of people just use. I, I, I use it. I think I've used it in all my games. Um, but we wear enemies can do it too. Mm-hmm. Yep. As we've said before, something to watch out for anything you can do. The mobs can also do. Yeah. It's only fair. Yeah. But it's, it's something, it's something that, uh, adds a little bit more to, uh, strategic placement, uh, and getting into position. It can be very helpful to rogues to get sneak attack. Uh, just another, another potential option, uh, especially if you are comboing to help your rogue get sneak attack. Uh, this can be something that's really helpful too. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. What else, what else you got, Ben? Oh my gosh. Just jumping over into chapter nine, the dungeon masters workshop. Uh, this has so many different things. Um, so I mentioned earlier, uh, proficiency dice, as opposed to using your proficiency modifier, this was something that I never even knew was a thing, even though I probably skimmed over it before, but you know how, uh, you know, every two points of your ability score, you get, you know, a, a new uh, kind of, oh no, this, sorry, proficiency. Don't mind me. You know how you level up, how you get a new proficiency bonus? Yeah. Every yeah. few levels. Exactly. Yeah. So instead of using like a plus two bonus on levels one through four, you, you'd roll a D4 on top of whatever you're doing. Um, instead of a plus three, it's a D6, plus four, D8, and so on and so on. Now, proficiency dice. Yeah. This has a potential of giving you, you know, a better version or a better role than just the straight up proficiency, you know, the average of what you would have or less of a role. I mean, they, they basically just took the average and said, this is what you get going forward. So makes it a lot more swingy. Yeah. And in some cases I can see where this could be, you know, really interesting and, you know, you're kind of really gambling on your skills. You know, how good are you? at unlocking this door. Well, I rolled an, a one on my proficiency this time. So this one's a little tougher than the one that I rolled the four on, you know, it's, it, it kind of gives you that, that swing back and forth a, just a little bit. It's not a whole ton. Um, personally, I'm a big fan of just having your bonus and then that's it because I don't want that extra added. I rolled a one as opposed to the three that I could have had, you know, just like that little bit, not a fan of it. Sure, some people live and die by using proficiency die, but I thought it was a really interesting, different kind of way to to do stuff. Yeah, yeah, I think that that's pretty cool. It's, especially, it's a little more to keep track of. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're because ba- you're basically adding in a dice to almost every roll that you make. Uh, but if you like rolling more dice and you want the would rather have that more swingy nature, that is definitely definitely an interesting thing. Yeah. Um, another one is healing. There are several different variants of healing that the DMG has that you can use. Um, like uh, healer's kit dependency, meaning you can't you can't spend hit dice unless someone uses a healer's kit. Makes a yeah. you know check and use the healer's kit to be able to treat your wounds. Um, 
like slow natural healing because i there's it, it is it is a bit of a meme in 5e that you can fight to the death you can even die be it you know one hit point at the end of the day you sleep for eight hours and you're good to go like that <laughs> that it is it is a little ridiculous if you think about it it's but it's it's the heroic fantasy yeah i mean Gosh, I have a uh, a long day walking around in the sun at the Renaissance Festival. The next day I'm toast. So uh, I'm not very heroic, but my character (laughs) is. Uh, But in this variation, you can use something called slow natural healing, where characters don't regain hit points at all at the end of the long rest. But instead, you can spend your hit dice to heal at the end of a long rest, just like you would with a short rest. Uh, And this prolongs the amount of time that characters need to recover from wounds without the benefit of magical healing. And it uh, does say it works well for grittier, more realistic campaigns. Uh, mm-hmm. I, and honestly, that's, it, that's actually really not a terrible variation. Yeah. Like, no, Cause I agree. Yeah, you can still potentially get a decent amount of healing from your hit dice, but as you only regain half your hit dice, uh, at every long rest, you definitely would have to be more careful and you might not be at full hit points every time you wake up, especially if you had a really hard day or, or a hard series of days. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's something as a DM you would have to account for in your encounter balance and, and such, and players would have to encounter, uh, account for in how they play just how they played um they might not be so so hot to jump into stuff that they might have otherwise but if you want to run that type of campaign i think that's actually a pretty cool rule yeah and uh to kind of piggyback off of that there's the rest variance as well that this is something that i think is really cool um depending on, you know, kind of which way you want to go with it. Do you want to go like super ultra fantasy heroic? Like I'm the guy who's running in the battlefield, cleaving left and right, destroying everything, take a break for a minute or two, and then jump right back and do the same thing. Or do you want to go for like gritty realism? And there's, there's two different options here that the book gives. And that's the epic heroism, which is a uh, short rest is five minutes long, five minutes. So, you know, spend your hit dice, do what you need. If you're a bard, you get your inspirations back. If you're a warlock, you get your spell slots back, you know, fun stuff like that. Then a long rest is an hour. So this is going to be something where, you know, combat is very routine. It's something that you're going to be doing a lot. This opens up spellcasters to kind of, you know, use their, their spells quickly and, and, you know, the bigger spells and have fun and everything. Um, and still, you know, be able to be useful an hour later after a quote unquote long rest. Conversely, gritty realism is where things get really rough. And that is a short rest is eight hours. So what you're looking at for normally a long rest, just kind of rules as written. That's your short rest. It's like, okay, my short rest is I, I slept tonight. And then a long rest, you're looking at a week vacation. Yep. <sighs> yep. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, <laughs> depending on your class, this can be an absolute detriment to what you're doing, or it could be something that, you know, 
might be kind of manageable depending on the kind of campaign you're in. If you're a wizard, maybe a little rough because you, you really have to be very choosy on when you're casting those spells, but something like a fighter, um, you know, you don't have, or you don't have as many abilities that are just completely gone that you don't have access to. You might be able to survive a little bit longer before you take a long rest. So it's just one of those things to kind of, which way do I want to go with this? You know, do I want to go super realism or do I want to be, you know, uh, running around like I have Zenzu beans in my pocket, just hacking and slashing and firing fireballs off everywhere. And, and uh, just like being the one lone hero on a battlefield full of uh, bad guys. Yeah. It's, it, it's an interesting one because obviously the several of the classes are not tuned for that from a from a balanced perspective like mm-hmm. like you said it hits it hits going to hit some a lot harder than others but it does also say this is a good option for campaigns that emphasize intrigue politics and interaction among other npcs and in which combat is rare mm-hmm. or something to be avoided more so than rushed into so yeah it's it's again it's a different type of campaign i i think a lot of this just shows the flexibility of 5e and how you can kind of make it what you want. Not that I'm saying 5e is the best system for these types of games, because there are a lot of other systems out mm-hmm. there that may do, if you're looking for something like that specifically, and you have the time and your group has the time and resources to learn it, there are certainly other systems out there that can and we'll we'll talk about the because there's like horror and fear and, mm-hmm. and stuff too. Uh, there are other games that will cater to those types of gameplay better than 5e will. Yes. However, if 5e is your thing, if that's all you your group wants to play, or that's really all your group has time to learn um, or time to do, then 5e is very incredible at offering flexibility to still be able to play those types of games in its its own context. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And that's one of the fun things about it is that we can mold it into a whole bunch of different things. And just having all of these optional rules is just another reminder of, Oh, there's a whole heck of a lot of stuff that I can do with this. Yeah. Um, next. And this is interesting because they actually talked about, this is going to become Canon. Haha. <laughs> Pun intended. So to speak, uh, I in the new, New 2024 version. Uh, but currently it is an optional rule uh, that is firearms and explosives. Uh, these are both optional things right now. Uh, you might not know that, especially if you're like a D&D Beyond only user and you see those options. Uh, it's kind of like the feats thing. If you only use D&D Beyond, you might not know feats or just an optional thing. And that's just thought it was just another thing you could use that is just baseline yeah but uh yeah firearms and explosives there are rules for them which is super cool uh in in this <laughs> sideline <laughs> chapter of the dmg uh there's room for file rules for firearms there's rules for explosives if that's something you want in your campaign uh or something you want to give access to but it is be- going to become a core thing doesn't mean you necessarily have to use it if they don't exist in your world, uh, but they are interestingly moving from optional to core in the 2024 provision. Yeah. Um, heck, they even have laser pistols, laser rifles, and uh, anti-matter rifles. 
So it's your space stuff. scene. Uh, yeah, your your space stuff right there. Uh, let's see. I think there were a few other ones. Uh, initiative variants, I thought were were very interesting, uh, because there's there's a few the, the two big ones I thought that were interesting was the initiative score, where it's an optional rule where people don't roll initiative. Their initiative is basically just 10 plus their dex modifier. Mm -hmm. And that's their, and that's their initiative. Yeah. Um, Which I mean, and kind of makes a little sense. It does kind of make a, it does kind of make sense and it makes it so that you could start your initiative faster. You always knew where you'll always know where you are in relation to the rest of your party Mm -hmm. because it's a set number. And the DM then, would pretty much always know exactly where you would need to be placed. So that, I mean, that is uh, honestly a very legitimate rule, especially if you're wanting to speed things up uh, and wanting to reduce complexity yes. a little bit. Yeah. Uh, there's also side initiative. That which is, is horrifying. If you ask me, that's an option <sighs> I will not take. <laughs> and that one is basically the players roll a D20 for their initiative as a group. And then the monsters roll a D20 for their initiative as a group. And then within that players, when the player side goes, they can decide exactly what they want to do, who wants to go in what order and whatnot. Uh, this can actually be really interesting from a strategic perspective mm-hmm. because it can make it. So your players are more focused and more collaborative because all their turns can basically happen at the same time. Um, The problem with this is action economy. Uh, If the players go first, they have a potential to nuke the crap out of whatever your enemies are, especially with strategizing and working together. And that might feel good. But the flip side of this, if the monsters go first, they might pulverize your players without any ability of players to go in between to try and make something happen. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Then you start looking at things like legendary actions. How are they coming into play? You're looking at reactions. How are those coming into play? And it's, it's just one of those things where, I mean, it's an interesting idea and for some combats, sure. Why not? But for others, I mean, I think for a system that was designed to use it, it would be very, very cool. Yeah. Like a take, system that was designed XCOM. With, with what XCOM. It, yeah. I mean, XCOM. Yeah. That, it's exactly like that. That's what it hundred percent. The, the new MCDM RPG they're developing. They, mm-hmm. and one of the uh, development blogs, they talked about using this like side type initiative because players could do combos and stuff with each other and that that may not end up be where they end up they're doing a lot of development they're doing a lot of spitballing right now but it was one of the things i remember them mentioning in one of the blogs and it's just like yes if you design your combat and design your system for that type of initiative you could do yeah you could probably do some pretty cool stuff with it i don't think 5e was designed for that though i would say no and so i yeah it makes it is as cool as it is in a lot of ways, 
I I don't think the system works super well for it. If you want to have an exact example on what we're talking about, about, you know, just everybody unleashing on something, have one of your players banish a monster and then everybody readies an action for when that monster comes back. And that's what that is right there. In one turn, it's like, boom, that thing's gone. That thing's gone. What's left? Okay. Now the monster's turn, they'll all gang up on this one person and maybe they're dead on this turn. I mean, it, it's something that's, again, in the again, right situation. It's another of those, it's incredibly swingy. Yeah. Potentially mechanic. Like exactly. a lot of these optional rules, honestly, there's a <laughs> lot of optional rules that that can really turn things into the very swing. Yeah. But the speed initiative, that one is the one that I think is really interesting that I don't have enough like patience to really try. Did you take a look at that one at all? Yeah. Uh, that is rolling initiative each round. Oh no, no, no. This is where, um, based on like what you're doing, like if someone has a, a, a light finesse weapon, they they're faster than someone else. So on this round, they're you know they're oh, yeah, that's the modi- than... modifier portion of it yeah yeah yeah, yeah. but yeah the but uh as a baseline you roll initiative every round oh i missed that uh, part of it oh yeah no i don't definitely don't want to do that and, and, and it's just like that's 5e combat is already long like if you really wanted to mess mess with things like that that might that seems like something you might could do for a special event or some like weird time bubble thing enemy that's going on and messed up as, as a general rule though. Now. Yeah. You decide what I you're going to do first and then you roll initiative. And then that's when it figures out when everybody like takes their turn. That's it's like, it's like a freaking uh, like cult express or those games where you put all your actions in at the same time and you mm-hmm. don't necessarily see what the actions are for other people. And then you play the whole thing out and it goes it goes wild because some person messed up something and then everything else is off. And yeah. Yeah. I can see this where it's like, I'm going to attack Joey over there. Great. Joey's dead by the time it's your turn. So now you don't get to go. And that's just not fun. No. I mean, who knows? Maybe there's something built in for that, but anyways, it's an interesting concept. And I know that some people like to run things like this so that, you know, it, it is really more of a cinematic experience of what's going on so they can just like narrate the entire round at once. But it's like, nah, I'm still good with the way that we do things. Yeah. Uh, there's also uh, extra action options. Um, and these are these are like optional rules that you can use to, uh, for the player to use their action for, like climbing onto a creature. Uh Disarm mm-hmm. is an optional rule. Uh, I know there are some people who probably didn't know that and may just use it, or it's just a question they ask, like, can I try and disarm him? That is an actual, like, optional rule. A creature can use a weapon attack to knock a weapon or another item out of the target's grasp. The attacker makes an, a, a contested roll with, you know, athletics or acrobatics, and if the attacker wins, the attack causes no damage or other ill effect, but the defender drops the weapon. Mm-hmm. So that, yeah, that's uh that's an interesting one. Um, Mark 
This option makes it easier for melee combatants to harry each other with opportunity attacks. When a creature makes a melee attack, it can mark its target. Until the end of the attacker's next turn, any opportunity attack it makes against that marked target has advantage. Um, like, shove aside. Uh, the creature uses a special so- shove action uh, to force a target to the side rather than away. Um, it's a little more like movement control, tumble. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can try and move through a hostile creature's space, which you normally couldn't. You can only move through allies. Um, so tumble is like a thing. Yeah. So just a, a lot of stuff, a, a lot of stuff like that. Some of which many groups probably just do automatically yeah. or just because it makes sense. Exactly. And that's one of the things that's, I mean, we've come across in our games is just, especially like, Oh, I want to climb on this. I want to, you know, run over there. Can I disarm them? You know, things like that. It's just, yeah, sure. This is how it works. And, uh, you know, we might be the exact way that uh, wizards has us do it. We might not be, but you know what? It works in our games. Yeah. Uh, another really cool thing is cleaving through creatures. Yes. Uh, and this is something that actually, uh, is a part of the MCDM minion rules, which are very cool. They're in the, the free packet that came out with the, uh, flea mortals Kickstarter, and it'll be in the flea mortals monster book that is coming out fairly, fairly soon. They're wrapping up development on that one right now. Uh, but essentially it's a melee thing. Mm-hmm. Whereas, whereas I believe, um, in the minion rules, it's a melee or ranged thing uh but essentially what this optional rule is if a melee attack reduces an undamaged creature to zero hit points any excess damage from that attack carries over can carry over to any any other nearby creature the attacker targets another creature within reach if the original attack roll can hit it uh it applies any remaining damage to that and then likewise if that creature is Undamaged is reduced to zero hit points. Repeat the process and carry on. It's it's basically a minion light rule. Yeah. Because that rule would really only apply to things that you're attacking that are fairly far below your level in hit points or something. Um, like if you're a level you know, eight or ten fighting goblins where an attack of yours with some of the extra stuff that you add to it might do three <laughs> goblins worth of hit points or something. It's, it's, it's kind of, like I said, it's a, it's a minion light rule yeah. and it's really cool. And it makes a lot of sense and yeah. it's totally something that I would use if I wasn't using like specifically minion rules. Yeah. It, it gives you that, that power fantasy of I fought these things when I was level one and they were tough. I'm level eight now and they are nothing, which is really handy. It helps. It, it helps with that stuff. Yeah. It makes you feel heroic mm-hmm. when it's just like I cleave through this goblin and with the back swing, it goes, I hit the, the one right next to it. Yes. Type. I've grown Type. in power. Eat my yeah, sword. It's a, it's, yeah. It's a great way to show growth. Yeah. It's a great way to show growth. And we've talked about that on the show before uh, with your parties. Don't always challenge them with equal level or, or harder things. Sometimes it's fun to have those smaller encounters where they have to chew through a bunch of little guys or <laughs> in some or circumstances, bandits. they find that bandit 
group that harried them when they were much lower level and now they could crush them under the under their heel or whatever exactly it's always fun when you're able to just be all like oh you yeah guess what we're back you were sorry before well you're gonna be even sorrier now it's fun yeah yeah um and then finally on my list uh lingering injuries or just injuries in general and this is something if you don't want to go super hardcore with like the resting or or the the way healing works you could do something like this optional longer term injury system a creature may sustain a lingering injury under like the following circumstances when they take a critical hit when you drop to zero hit points but aren't killed outright or when you fail a death saving throw by five or more uh, and then there's like a lingering injuries table that you could roll on like losing an eye losing an arm or hand uh an internal injury a horrible scar um you know, just a, a bunch of different types of things and if that's the type again if that's the type of game you want to play this and potentially combined with some of the other rules might turn your game into that gritty realism mm -hmm. so if you want the gritty realism there are several optional rules you could pull from and combine and go okay cool yeah. And you can These even make gritty realism. You can even kind of tone this down a little bit if you want your characters to, to show that they're battle hardened, you know, like if you have a player who says, man, you know, we've been in all these fights and everything. Can I have a scar or like a, a wound that, that healed wrong or something like that? Just, yeah, of course, you know, you can give them something like this. You can even bring up this lingering injury thing to, to, you know, give them a limp for a while or, you know, something along those lines, if that's something that they want to experience. And, you know, you, you might have some players who are like, oh no, I magic heals me perfect every time. Meanwhile, your fighter might be, you know, adverse to magic and healing potions or something like that and only gets healed by a med kit and who knows, then they have to kind of deal with this. So, you know, you can even have, those gritty rules for some players and not for others, depending on kind of how you, you work and balance that in your own campaign. Um, yeah, it's cool. It's cool. The stuff is there. It's yeah. cool the stuff. Is there. And uh, following up on that, uh, massive damage is something that I was really surprised was in here and it, it it's cool. Uh, don't worry my players. I don't think I'll be using it at least in this campaign, but um, basically if, a creature takes damage from a single source equal to or greater than half of its hit point maximum. It has to have a con save. Otherwise it suffers a random effect determined by the system shock table. now I know that like this was a big thing, I think in, in uh, um, thir three or 3.5, I forget exactly which edition was, but when it was like a massive hit, it's like your body's in shock. You need to, you know, kind of work your way through it, you know, past that constitution save. Otherwise, you know, something bad happens. And I mean, just as an example here, you roll a D10 and if you roll a one on that 10, you drop to zero hit points, you know, like more than half your health is gone in one fell swoop. You're just, you're just down, um, which is pretty rough. Um, but I mean, it could be something as simple as you're just kind of shocked in the moment and you can't take reactions until the end of your next turn. I mean, that's if you're rolling eight to a 10. So varying levels of, of bad stuff can happen, but it's, yeah. uh, I mean, it makes sense if, if I get hit like that hard, I'm going to be dazed a little bit. 
So kind of yeah. cool. If you if you haven't or want to watch uh, the latest Dimension Twenty season, uh, Never After, uh, Dimension Twenty Never After, it's a little more of a horror focused campaign mm-hmm. that does use five E, and they use uh, one of the new mechanics is a system that is similar to this. If like they get hit by or half their hit points or more in a single turn, then they have it's it's like exhaustion or they roll on a on a table or something like that. So uh if you want to see that type of system in action, that is it it fit more that horror, grittier focus campaign. That's uh one that used a similar type system recently. And speaking of horror, uh fear and horror actually another one of those really kind of interesting things that you can kind of throw at your players. Um now, this might be something that, you know, some creatures already have kind of baked in, which is, you know, oh, uh, you have frightful presence with a dragon or something along those lines. But fear and horror could be something that based on the circumstances or the thing that they're seeing or even based off of something from a player's back or a, a character's backstory, they might be like frightened of something that happens or just absolutely horrified. And you'd be able to kind of, you know, throw a, a DC in there to see if they're able to kind of push back that, that fear in order to really, you know, work on this. Um, like one of the things uh, that comes to mind right away is, you know, maybe uh, the BBEG is this horrifying presence that they see that turns out they killed their parents or something. And they're seeing them for the first time since that happened. And they're in a state of shock and they have to kind of like bolster that fear back up. You know, it's, it's, it's putting something to the story that wasn't exactly in like the stat block of the creature. And this is something that I think is actually pretty great. Uh, in fact, something like that kind of happens in, uh, again, critical role campaign two, when keg shows up, everybody remembers that fight and absolutely hated keg for a while because of it. But it's, it's one of those things where, um, you know, she actually uh, Birch put into her story that she's having a hard time facing this thing based off of her backstory. You know, it's, it's that, that fear and everything that was in there. And it really definitely changed the state of the game at that point. So really interesting stuff. Horror on top of that, you know, it's, it's something that is just, you know, a, a simple fright to, again, something insanely huge, which could be, you know, a, a charisma, uh, saving throw to kind of resist this horror of everything that's going on versus like a wisdom throw that you might do for being frightened and stuff. And I, I just find those to be kind of, you know, interesting ideas of something that you kind of put towards your, your, your player characters and, and see how they react to different things. And I mean, we've kind of mentioned it before. There are whole entire game systems based on things like this. Uh, like Call of Cthulhu is a really good one that has to do with like Eldritch yes. Horror and stuff. Yep. Um, there's there's a bunch of different things that are are specific to that. But this is, you know, a little touch of that that you can kind of put in Pepper into uh, your campaign, which I think is neat. Um, yeah. Last but not least, I think uh, I'm actually really happy about Honor. I think that is actually a really cool system kind of put in place. Um, where based on, you know, your, your player and, or their, the character and, you know, how they want to play, like, this would be perfect for, um, if someone's going down like that samurai subclass or even a paladin, you know, they're, 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 they're all about honor. This is what they're trying to do. And, um, 
there's different honor checks that you can do about, you know, like surrendering while trying to save face, trying to determine, you know, what proper etiquette is in different social situations, um, you know, avoiding, you know, accidental breach of, of etiquette and everything like that. And if take some time to kind of read through it, it, it talks about a lot of different like social situations where, you know, charisma works as well as, you know, their understanding of like different codes of honor and everything, you know, look at like honor on the battlefield. And I think it's just, really interesting to have like a separate score and based on whatever that character's honor level is NPCs react to them differently. You know, like if you have a low level of honor, people aren't going to trust you. Whereas if you're like the, you know, exemplary uh, fighter, they're going to, you know, respect you, maybe try to, you know, <laughs> uh, give you free food or something like that. And, you know, it's, it's kind of like um, just the, the popularity of your, 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 player characters, you know, as they gain more renown, but this is just a, a, a more specific version of that. Yeah. That's a, kind of a, a interesting system for sure. Especially if you're, again, if you're running that type of, of campaign. Exactly. Or if you just want to randomly have, you know, a set culture in your world that honors a very, very specific thing introduce it for yeah. just a side introduce it as a yeah as a subsystem in certain locations or certain parts of the campaign certain arcs that type of thing exactly yeah, i think that's good um the last one i wanted to cover is morale mm -hmm. and i think this is a very handy one to use in any campaign yes honestly um and morale is basically some combatants might run away when a fight turns against them you can use this optional rule to help determine when monsters and NPCs flee. And I think, and remember, this isn't this isn't something that everyone has. There's some some things that are going to fight to the death. But if everything fights to the death, it's a little odd. Yeah, it's, it's a, a little touch. odd. The, there's the, a lot of creatures are going to have some sort of self-preservation mechanism. Now, let's say you're fighting like some death cultists or something like that. Sure, it makes sense that they're all going to fight to the death. Hey, but thumbs up for death cultists, <laughs> but especially things like uh, animals, creatures like that, smarter enemies. Mm -hmm. If they see the tide is turning against them, they might they might run. So a creature it even says a creature might flee under any of the following circumstances. They are surprised. They're reduced to half hit points or fewer. Uh, the creature has no way to harm the opposing side on its turn. Um, uh, or like uh, uh, a group's boss gets killed <laughs> yeah. or something like that. So yeah, to determine whether a creature, a group of creatures leaves, you make a DC 10 wisdom saving throw for the creature or leader. If the opposition is overwhelming, the saving throw may be made with disadvantage. Um, if a group's leader can't make the saving throw for whatever reason, the creatures in the group with the next highest charisma score would make the, the saving throw. And then on a failed save, the affected group or, or creature uh, flees by the most expedious route. If escape is impossible, the creature or group surrenders. Uh, if a creature group surrenders its, is attacked, the battle might resume and it is unlikely that further attempts to flee or surrender might be made. Yeah. And, and, and it says a saving throw isn't always to the adventurer's benefit. If you're in a bad area, uh, them fleeing might alert other things, mm -hmm. which could also lead to its own interesting things but it's it's a great mechanic to have and honestly in some ways i feel like it should be it it should almost be a full 
like non-optional real rule that's just baseline and then some creatures just have morale listed on their their sheet and with that you just know this creature will try and flee or potential has the potential to flee if they uh, hit a certain threshold or something and you don't even have to roll for it either if you kind of determine that your creature or uh, bad guy or whatever would just, you know, get out of Dodge, go for it. Don't even roll. Have fun with it. Yeah. Uh, all right. I think that's that's it for the ones I wanted to highlight. Uh, ben, I know we went through the list. There are more. There's there are more, more that we did not mention. Like I said, Xanathar's uh, Player's Handbook has some. Dungeon Master's Guide, uh, mainly chapters eight and nine, uh, have a lot of the optional rulings. So if you want to check those out, or if this was really interesting and you want to see some of the other stuff, definitely uh, grab those books, check it mm-hmm. out. Because they're all, all in there. Lots of stuff in there. Yep. Uh, so before we kind of transition to the the end of the show, I did want to do one community content shout out. And speaking of optional rules, here's some uh, optional rules you can have. It's a DMs Guild publication called Fantastic Terrain. And this book is 50 plus terrain effects that you can use to enhance your combat with tactical and dynamic environments recommendations on how to use them in your encounters and tables for scaling damage for all tiers of play. Uh, This is a really cool book uh, that has a lot of extra things that can, if you're and we've talked about dynamic combat in the past, uh, but if you're looking for extras, optional things to potentially spice an encounter up uh, using something like this can really add that extra piece of dynamic play to your combat encounters. I'm looking at it now and it does look very cool. Yeah. And there's, like I said, there's, there's uh, 50 plus. So there's, there's a lot of different stuff. Uh, so if you're looking for, for more, a little more dynamic combat uh, for your terrain or uh, effects in the area that you're fighting, check it out. We'll have a link in the show notes on dndiscussions.com. That we will. And with that, that brings us to the end of our show. Uh, And as always, of course, before we finish up, uh, we usually talk a little bit about what we're doing in our own campaigns. So, Ben, I believe you had a session recently. Yes. Yes. Um, So we have tracked down the Relic of Creation to... Uh, Ront, the giant stronghold on the plain of Isgard. And uh, my players were able to sneak their way in, and that's where we ended our session last time. So this session, they started making their way in. Doing a great job. There's not a whole lot of of giants going along. They have a map of the whole area, so they kind of know where they want to go. So they bypass some rooms and everything. Um, They ended up stealthing their way through some barracks with two giants sleeping in it. So they actually did pretty good. It was a fantastic group stealth check, I got to say. Absolutely fantastic. Um, They had a couple of different plans of like, oh, should we just stealth through? Should we? Because we have um, one player who has a hat of disguise. I've got a changeling in the group. And then we have two invisibility potions. We're like, well, 
Should we make ourselves look like giants? These two people will be invisible. And then our fifth person will say that we captured them and sneak through, which I thought was a great idea, but they decided to just stealth through anyway. So I'm like, okay, whatever. You know, you're doing your thing. I'm yeah, not going to yeah. force it. Um, I thought it was a great idea and I would have loved to play with that, but it's okay. So then they kind of go through they're they're working their, their magic and, and, you know, pushing doors, being stealthy, which this is not a stealthy group most of the time because our paladin just doesn't roll for stealth because she, uh, you know, she's like, I'm wearing armor. It's whatever. But uh, we gave her some boots of elven kind. So it's, you know, it it's not disadvantage or advantage now. So it evens out. So she was actually rolling particularly well this evening. Um, so then they open up a door and there's a giant on patrol. Oh my gosh. So then they start fighting him. And then of course he yells out for help, which there just happened to be another giant in the, in the, the water closet that was at the end of the hall right there who opened up the water closet. (laughs) And uh, yeah, so he popped out. And so they had a a pretty, pretty rock and fight. Two fire giants did some pretty beefy damage to him. So they, uh, you know, they're no joke. Yeah. They, they dispatched him, which was good. It took, I think like four or five rounds, something like that. It, it, It took quite a bit, but I mean, they, the giants really got their, you know, got their hits in. And I mean, they were basically stuck in a hallway too. So it it wasn't a lot of maneuverability. There's a, there's a lot going on in there. Um, So then they continued their way through and then uh, found some, some hellhounds that were guarding a room, like five or six of them took care of them. And so like, okay, we think this big metal door right here, it leads into Osius's quarters. He's, he's the head giant. Which attached to that they think is the room where this this relic is that they're looking for. So they open up the door on a nat one, if I remember correctly, and very loud squeaking door. Oh no. So I remove sight lines for just, you know, there's like a little hallway, uh, about maybe like a, a 10 foot wide hallway, and then the door. Or I'm sorry, then the room so that I gave them visibility for just that stretch looking through the door. They didn't see anybody. And then we ended the session there because it was getting kind of late. And we, we just had someone who returned from a trip from Italy. So the they were very jet lagged. So it's like, OK, if we're going to do this, there's a good chance that you're going to be getting into quite a bit of combat here. Should we stop and wait for ne- save it for next time? Then came the challenge of trying to figure out when we can actually play again, because we have a lot of stuff going on over these next couple of weeks. I mean, I'm, I'm going to run into that exact same thing. Yeah. Scheduling why it's summer. There's a lot of, lot of stuff going on and people are doing things. The good news though, we're playing Friday. Yeah. Yes. This is our first you Friday night in, playing. Got it in quick. Yes. I'm like, I told them like, look, I'm probably not going to prepare a whole bunch of extra stuff. You know, we'll just kind of, you know, finish this up, see what, how it goes. Yeah. Go like, oh, no, that's fine. That's fine. See where, yeah. See where it ends up. So everybody was, was pretty excited for it. So, good, good. so yeah, so we're going to be doing that before, uh, our next recording. So wish them luck, everybody. <laughs> we'll, we'll see how that goes. And I, uh, I, I sent good you Ben's party. I sent you a stat block for who they're going to fight, which, um, after that, that giant fight, I might've tweaked him a little bit. So we'll see how it goes. And I'll tell you Good. what I, I have actually seen have. it. Good luck. Ben's party. 
Yeah. Although, although by the time uh, by the time this actually comes out, uh, it will have already be over. So yes, I hope you survived. Yeah, I mean, I'm really looking forward to Spelljammer. What can I say? Anyways, <laughs> <laughs> wah, wah. it will not be an intentional TPK if that happens. In fact, I doubt it. They're so good and so smart that they're. It's going to be one of those like two rounds. This thing's dead, but it's a lot of brains versus your one brain. Yeah, it's exactly. It's hard. But I mean, they've got they've got some awesome abilities at level 12. So we'll see how that goes. Heck yeah. Uh, But I know you are working on two campaigns. Yep. And we uh, played both. Yeah, we played both. Uh, One uh, uh, was a downtime after the big all the big Shadowfell stuff. Yeah. Uh, they got to They got to have a few weeks of downtime. So it actually ended up being a really good session. It was a very RP heavy session, as most downtime sessions usually tend to be, which I, I really love. Um, there is a lot of plot points that we hit some character backstory stuff, a little bit of shopping um, and then a little bit of figuring out where we're going next with this mm-hmm. with this uh, next big arc that we're doing uh, that is kind of building in the background for quite some time and is finally starting to boil over uh, dealing, having to deal with this green dragon that has Ooh. been kind of lurking in the background. It honestly was set up long ago near the very beginning of the campaign. So it's finally coming full circle to, to close the the loop on the, the campaign. So I'm very, very, cool. very excited yeah, very excited to dig in to uh, this this particular story and and pull on that thread. Uh, the other campaign is kind of also setting up for for a big uh, arc as well, and they are going to they basically took some, some fake cargo and are going to infiltrate this port town, which is like the facade of this continent um, that exists in like one half of the town as this Harbor market, but think like almost Truman show type facade that they put on for the merchants and the outsiders to show to, to not show their, how advanced they are uh, and give anything away. And then the other half of the the town is more just a, the, the normal, normal thing. So they're, the, the ultimate goal of this is there this house uh, Valor, uh, one of the, the three most powerful houses on this continent is owns this trading town and makes them a lot of money, makes them very rich uh, and riches normally equal power. So they are plotting because they've had a lot of dealings this house none of them good they're plotting with this uh minor house that they've been working with and they've made friends with uh they're gonna try and take it over they're gonna try and capture it uh so they are there right now on a scouting mission to try and find out as much information as they can uh to pick the right time the right place the right targets yeah to try and take this port town over from one of the major houses and bring it under control of another, another place. So, uh, kind of kicking off a lot of, a lot of big stuff. So I'm excited to see, see where that goes. It was a, it was really, really, and also a very heavy RP session, which I, I very much enjoyed as well. 
Very, very cool. I'm I'm looking forward to hearing how those both go because I know you're putting a ton of time and work into both of them. Yeah, I'm I'm excited to to do these arcs for both campaigns. Good. All right. Well, that is it for us. Uh, thank you so much, everybody, for listening. I hope uh, it was fun to kind of go through the rules, some of these optional variants, mm-hmm. optional rules. Hopefully it sparked some stuff. Maybe thought, hey, that sounded cool. Maybe I'll start using something like that. Or, uh, oh, I should read my DMG. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> because there's, there's definitely a lot of stuff in there I didn't know about. Uh, and that would be my... I would be included under that category as well. Um, again, though, thank you so much for listening. Uh, we always have such a great time. And right before we go, Ben, why don't you tell everybody where we can be reached? You bet. Um, if you're looking to tell us about some of the optional rules that you use, or maybe some that you stumbled across that we never talked about, you can always send those to dndiscussions at gmail.com. We greatly appreciate any mail that we get because we love hearing from you and it helps us think about things to actually discuss on the show. So something that you send in might be on the show soon. In fact, we've done it a few times, so I highly recommend it. Um, if you're not wanting to you know, use the old archaic email, you can always reach out on Twitter for the time being. Uh, right now, we are at DN Discussions. If you're looking for Ryan specifically, he is at TBK Zord. And if you're looking for me, I'm at Ben Bumhofer. Uh, now, if you are interested in actually hearing us play, uh, right now you can actually find me on Plus 5 to Hit. Um, it is a persistent campaign of Rhyme of the Frostmaiden. Uh, Ryan's character has... Uh, gone on a mission of her own for a little bit so uh once she comes back i'm sure you'll be an entirely different person (laughs) that's not saying you're gonna be a different player i don't know who knows what's gonna happen with that but um you're taking a break for a little bit everybody needs that from time to time i am personally looking forward to it to you coming back not the break that's yeah oh yeah (laughs) (laughs) i'm looking forward to listening in the interim yeah well, I got to say, the first episode has been recorded since then, and uh, I'm actually really excited to hear what you have to say about it. Uh, but anyways, so check out Plus 5 to Hit. But this show, Dean Discussions, you can find us on dndiscussions.com. That is where every single episode is available. So that includes the one you're listening to right now, as well as the 89 others that we've had. Uh, on top of that, too, if you like what you're listening to, make sure to subscribe. You know, throw in a, you know, a really cool review somewhere. It helps us out. And, of course, uh, you know, spread the word. Tell everybody what's going on. Thank you very much for listening and joining us with this episode. And until next time, everybody, be good to each other. Take care, and we'll see you soon.